Hey, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall. Where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. This is our final episode of season one. Yes, we are some 30 plus episodes into season one. Yes, we are going to be taking May and June off and we will be back right at July. We also have some exciting new events in the works for you out there. We're going to be starting our next season two with some interviews. We're going to have someone in the industry with us every single episode every week talking about the positive change that they are making or that they want to see make. So we're going to have someone joining us every single week after um, this episode and into our next season. Yeah, we're going to bring somebody into our own living room and have a conversation with them about positive change in musical theater. Exciting. So, Tim, what puzzler do you have for us this week? What is the first musical to feature a female director, female choreographer, female librettist, and female composer slash lyricist? Oh, I love this musical. I do too. It's on my bucket list. Yes, absolutely. I I definitely want to either direct it or be a part of this in some creative capacity. It's such a wonderful show. We'll discover the answer together at the end of this episode. So what's in the news? A few things I wanted to mention. First off is that Broadway is still closed, of course. It was just also mentioned that now, I think last week we talked about the beginning of June was the going to be the reopen date or the hopeful reopen date is now been pushed until July. So we are looking at a July opening if possible. But again, it's really being discussed that it's going to be a September opening and we're just waiting day by day. Also, as we are doing this episode uh, right now on YouTube live, there is uh, a celebration of Sondheim's 90th birthday. It's called Take Me to the World and it's featuring a multitude of Broadway legends uh, paying tribute to the amazing body of work and the celebration of life that is the amazing, incredible, incomparable Stephen Sondheim. So I hope all of you out there have had an opportunity to check it out. I know it was running a little bit late. So many people on social media were like, where is it? I can't watch it. It was really funny. But uh, it got started finally, and we're going to enjoy it right after this episode. Yes, because we always record on Sundays for a Monday morning release. So Mm -hmm. you have it for this week. What I wanted to mention in the news, and this was discussed a few weeks ago, I believe, but there was an article that came out. There is this revival production of 1776 that we have talked about before in the past. Which is directed by Diane Paulus. It's her next big Broadway show. Correct. And it has still said that they are on track to open on Broadway in spring of 2021. Now, I know there was also a recent um, article that came out discussing a fall 2020 opening of The Music Man that Mm -hmm. we know, of course, is starring... Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman. And they say they're still on track, supposedly. So we'll see again. We're all taking this really week by week and month by month. Mm -hmm. But there was an article that came out saying that this 1776 production is still on track and that... What makes me really excited about this and the topic that I want to get into this week is that Diane Paulus, who is directing, like you said, is creating this gender inclusive staging of the musical 1776. And I wanted to kind of talk about where we're moving as a, a, a art form. Mm-hmm. And how we're trying to really push the boundaries of musicals that have been made previously by mostly men. Mm -hmm. 
and also what we can do to further see that positive change that we really are dying to see right now when Broadway comes back and when theater in general comes back. So I thought, would you want to start off first by talking a little bit about 1776, the musical and the history of it and the roles of it? And then we can get into how Diana's doing it right now. So 1776 uh, was originally produced in 1969. It also had a film in 1972 and a subsequent Broadway revival in 1990. So this will be its second Broadway revival coming in uh, hopefully 2021. And uh, traditionally, the show uh, centers around predominantly male identifying characters, obviously, because the show is about the uh, conceiving of the idea for the Declaration of Independence, which most of our founding fathers, if not all of them, were male. Uh, I am pretty sure they were all male. Yes. (laughs) Uh, There is one character, two characters in the show that are female identifying the role of Abigail Adams and Martha Jefferson. Correct. Uh, And so I am really excited to see what Diane Paulus is going to do with this new casting. I remember we talked about this a long time ago when the idea had first been floated around that there was going to be this new production directed by Diane Paulus. Yeah, like like a few months ago, I think this was mm-hmm. one of our news elements. We it was were like talking early in about the fall. It. Yes, and you even made a comment, Tim, where you're like, oh, I can't wait to well, see what she does. And she, Diane Paulus is one of my top two favorite directors right now on the scene, and Absolutely. she's known for conceptualizing work. And so I remember saying specifically, I have to believe that Diane Paulus is going to do something very specific with this show. And lo and behold, we look at the casting and we are so excited about the direction that this show is going in. And I think, again, it speaks to the nature of Broadway revivals today. In the casting announcement and the casting notice, it said it was really calling for um, folks that were female non-binary and also trans identifying performers Mm -hmm. so you can already tell that that she is looking for folks in that industry and again we've talked about this in in our last podcast episodes about um, the casting notices and really putting out there what you are looking for so those folks can say oh wait I could play the role of Thomas Jefferson as a female identifying person or as a person from the trans community. Oh, okay, that's what you're you're looking for that? Sweet. So I think it's great that she put that out there and said to those folks, I am looking for to do something different. What she has said is that the production is going to feature multiple representations of gender, race, and ethnicity, which I think is something we're both extremely passionate about seeing that change happening because we've talked about this even with the musical Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? We see um, men that are um, African-American and black that are portraying these roles that were originally dominantly white men. Yeah, or Latinx as well. Yes, and and Latinx, absolutely. And I was going to mention this a moment ago. I think a show like Hamilton opened the door and gave the general audience and and casting people and creatives permission to actually take on a concept such as the one that Diane Paulus is going to take on. I know that there are going to be people out there that are like, oh, these aren't the actual, what the actual founding fathers looked like, blah, blah, blah. But look at Hamilton. None of the founding fathers, none of those folks looked like the people that we saw in Hamilton. And it is a multi-bazillion dollar. (laughs) Everybody is going to see that musical. So do you think this is going to resonate? Yes. I think it's going to resonate because we're telling an old story in a new kind of way. And also we're creating a space for underserved communities to have a voice on the Broadway stage, which I think is so exciting. And hopefully, with the idea that we see more of these folks on stage represented, I hear hear people that I, my students and my clients and people that I'm working with all the time say, I don't see myself represented on the stage mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't see me up on there. And, and 
what's really interesting is that we said Hamilton, we've seen folks that are playing these roles that are not white mm-hmm. folks, right? But we're, we've still seen they are men. Yeah. They are still men playing those roles. Now we are doubling down and we are not only changing gender and identity, but we are also changing the diversity where, of where those folks come from. And what's beautiful about it is the importance of the story of the signing and the writing of the Declaration of Independence is a universal thing that we can all celebrate. I don't believe that it requires gender, requires race uh, to tell that story effectively. Uh, or it has to be a certain race or color or gender to tell that story effectively. And I think Hamilton proved that. And but so, Hamilton was still mostly male dominant. That is very so true. That is very true. Now we're taking the next step, mm-hmm. right? And it's quite interesting. And this is my next question to you. It, what do you think about someone that is really doing this for, for really the, the first time in this commercial type of uh, Broadway musical that it is a female identifying director that is making this step. Why are we seeing it as a female that's doing this? It right, feels... especially especially because this industry is still in large part dominated by traditionally by older white men. And uh, and I really, really believe that uh, it's sad to see that more men are not also working to champion the cause of creating more diversity and inclusion in the theatrical experience. Why does it always have to be female identifying directors or creatives that have to champion the cause for not only just women, but for trans care, for trans performers, non-binary, gender fluid, etc.? I am clapping and screaming and moving my hands <laughs> as loud as I can as a female identifying person right now in this room. If you can't see it, <laughs> and I know that I know I am of the uh, of the male persuasion, but. I also feel like I have an obligation of being in some sense of privilege in, in, in the position that I'm in to create voices for those uh, marginalized groups of people that have been underserved in the theater. And I do the best I can. And I hope that my fellow male colleagues out there that are in positions either as creatives or artistic directors, directors, etc., really start thinking about championing those causes even more. It also gets very... Um... <laughs> exhausting as a female and i know you feel like this as a as someone from the latinx community it gets really hard trying to like scream and yell and say i'm here i'm Mm -hmm. here i'm here and i mean diane is doing it she is putting her foot forward and she's saying let's let's do this with this musical Mm -hmm. and i and she's using her platform which is really important because she's developed the clout and the and she has a voice. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, I think not at all. Please. And same thing with Rachel Chavkin. They're using their influence and their platform for positive change. Absolutely. I, I just I hope that we see more of this because we're talking about two two women, right? Two identifying female identifying folks out there. I would love to see you know folks that are um, non-binary or trans that are in directing positions mm-hmm. and creative positions. And we, the more we champion, the more we see this. It's baby steps. So as I'm optimistic. I think I think we're moving in the right direction in baby steps. And absolutely. Do I want to see more of it? Yes. But I think this is one giant step in the right direction. Absolutely. And I don't want to put anything negative about that because, yes, we are moving in it. I'm really excited to see how this, this um, pans out. I'm exceptionally supportive for all of the females and the, the folks from the trans community and, and non-binary community that are being... Um, cast in this production as well and able to to shine and showcase who they truly feel they are yes 
um, I just hope that more folks do this because it's I, I feel like every single gets like we're pounding, we're pounding as a, as a female. I'm always pounding the walls. I'm also really excited to see how the rehearsal process unfolds, especially when it comes to the music rehearsal process, because now that we're we're uh, casting uh, folks I, from all different, all different walks of life. Yes. How do we break down the voicings? And I, uh, the reason I bring this up is I had an interesting co- conversation with some of my colleagues in the music department. And uh, I said, you know, there is movement in the theatrical community to start doing away with the idea of soprano, mezzo, tenor, baritone, etc. And start moving towards uh, terminology such as high voice, medium high voice, you know, middle voice, low, low voice, voice. etc. And it was interesting because... Uh, my colleagues who are in the vocal music world could understand that with more sensitivity, but my colleagues who are in the instrumental world were completely opposed to the idea because, and thinking about it as an instrumentalist, being in orchestras and uh, have many friends that are in wind ensembles, gender is not a conversation that comes up among instrumentalists, whether they play flute or saxophone or woodwind instrument or violin. Well, we were just talking about the soprano yeah. sax. Yeah. That doesn't have gender, you know, it's attached not, to not it. There's not a gender affixed to it. So, But it's an instrument. You're talking, you're not talking about a person or a human being. You're talking about an instrument. So what point did we, without going in a rabbit's hole too far deep, but <laughs> what point did we start affixing gender to voicings? I guess that's that's a much different conversation for a different day, but I'm just really curious about that because at some point in our creative history, either in the opera or even going farther back, we started to affix that a soprano would be female identifying and that a tenor would be and baritone would be male identifying, that an alto would be female identifying, identifying. And I think it's really interesting and I think there that it's also an interesting conversation to have about how we can start changing the terminology in the rehearsal room today to be inclusive. That's right. Yeah, because why can't why can't Tim you sing very high? Why can't you sing the soprano line? <laughs> True. Why not? I, and some and you know what? Often my my students will probably laugh at me because they I'm always singing like in my head voice like when I'm coaching, <laughs> uh, especially my my. Uh, my female identifying students who sing soprano or sing, uh, I'm always singing high, but I just enjoy singing in my falsetto. It doesn't mean that I identify as but a soprano. There are, there are many folks out there too that sing very low. And what yeah. about those folks that have um, transitioned or are non-binary mm-hmm. and, and want to sing in a place that their voice really is the the fits the best that's the you know the yummiest, yeah. the most, the best place for them to sing that golden spot. And I agree with you. It's it's really taking the idea of in an ensemble when you walk in to rehearsal, it's like, okay, women over here, men over here. Okay, women, we're going to break you down in soprano, alto, um, soprano, mezzo, alto. We, we have to start thinking about how we can transition to a more inclusive environment. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it's really freeing for someone like Diane Paulus to say, I want to take this route with this concept. I know that there are I know that I have to get permission from the original creatives or the estate to make sure that I can go down this route. Sure. How freeing is that to be able to actually get permission to change lyric structure, to change vocal structure, to change things within the show to to cater towards a new contemporary audience. Sure. You know, I dream for the day that I can actually like manipulate the entire outlook of a show of a, of an, a traditional show to fit modern society. And I think that's really exciting for someone like Diane Paulus to be in that seat and say, you know what, I've been given permission to make these changes. And I'm interested to see because the only information that we've received so far is that it there are no men in any of these roles, mm-hmm. um, no male identifying folks. 
and that they had a <laughs> Zoom. I mean, we're, right. <laughs> I, all of us out there, I'm sure, are tired of hearing about Zoom at this point in time. But they met online for a Zoom workshop mm-hmm. to start, um, you know, workshopping and discussing this production already. And what I think is interesting is, are they going to do, are the costumes going to be male identifying costumes? Mm-hmm. How is she going to create that relationship by between the relationships of Abigail Adams and John Adams and then Martha Jefferson mm-hmm. and Thomas Jefferson because they're all going to be portrayed by folks from either non-binary trans or female identifying characters so how is she going to portray that relationship and I think it's just amazing to see this kind of unfold right now with where we are and it's also quite interesting because when when this was first announced I remember we talked about this months ago I was like uh well, because it's known as a pre- predominantly male show, male-driven right. show. And not that I didn't trust Diane, because I, I have full faith in her creativity and her artistic work. But it's like, really, right now, 1776, mm-hmm. but now I see the genius, because where we are right now as a society in 2020, at the end of April, this could really be something magical. And, oh, and, and I have to imagine that Diane has been stewing on this idea for a long time and probably just didn't like you know pick a pick a musical out of a hat and say i'm going to do 1776 and do a new concept no this has been a concept that's been milling around in her brain for a while and so i think the time is right to have this opportunity to present it to the world let's go back to our puzzler tim and tell us the answer what was the first musical to feature a female director female choreographer female librettist and female composer lyricist and the answer is Waitress. Waitress. Oh, I love this musical. That's right. Waitress the musical featured Diane Paulus in the role of director, who yes. we've been talking about this whole time. Yes. Also featured Lauren Lataro in the role of choreographer. And then librettist Jesse Nelson, as well as uh, Sarah Bareilles as composer lyricist. Yes. And it was also based on the 2007 film that was written by Adrian Shelley. And so I just love that we're seeing female representation. Um in bits and pieces again is it enough i don't think so but you know what we are making steps we are taking strides and and we just got to keep keep pushing forward and making that positive change absolutely so this is going to wrap it up for our season one of breaking the fourth wall we want to thank each and every one of you for the journey you've taken with us these uh past 30 some odd episodes we have grown so much both ashley and i as not only artists but as uh humans and people uh striving for a more inclusive musical theater experience for the world and we are excited to come back with a season two with a fresh new perspective uh for breaking the fourth wall and we're going to bring in some special guests we're going to talk about all the wonderful positive change that needs to happen in this industry if you have any suggestions questions topic ideas anything please let us know the email and contact information is in the show notes for you and we wish you all the very best in the next few months and drop us a line find us on instagram or facebook or the twitter or the youtube or wherever (laughs) you go to get connect with people these days have a wonderful wonderful summer and we will see you back in just a couple months. Bye.